Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside media executive Grail Hallett and Syria Ah specialist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on Over the Ball, we'll review last night's highlights from the U.S. men's national team's thrashing, and I mean thrashing, of El Salvador. Uh, it was a big night for a lot of guys, some guys making comebacks, some guys actually making their U.S. men's national team debuts. And, uh, well, as a soccer nation, we watch as the uh, national team is looking good in a country that, in a world, really, that can certainly use some good news right about now. And speaking of a resurgent U.S. men's national team, our guest today on OTB is a man who was recently named Chief Commercial Officer over at U.S. Soccer Federation, Dave Wright. A friend of mine, but I've got to say, uh, a really impressive individual all the way around as a businessman, former player at Indiana and as a family man as well. So uh, just the real deal. So it'll be great to get caught up with Dave. But first up, guys, before we get to that and all the other news and EPL and Champions League and all that stuff that, that's happening in the football world, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Sam? So I'm over the rash of stories I've seen in recent weeks, which is basically saying how sad you know the fall from greatness is of all these big clubs. Uh, I'm talking about Arsenal, Man United, Barcelona, Schalke. Uh, there's been a bunch of them lately, how they're basically becoming shadows of their former selves. And I don't need to see any more. And I almost lost it when I was reading Rory Smith's piece in the New York Times last week about Arsenal, thinking it was just another one of these laments. I was furious halfway through, but I did finish. Uh, and he why wraps up. Why are you furious, first of all? Well, I'm furious because I, I just, I don't know why we have to spend time lamenting the fact that these like established teams that have been good forever are like going through some difficulty. This is a good thing. It means that things can change and get shaken up a little bit, which to right. me, like European soccer absolutely needs. So anyway, he closes with this sentiment in the article. So I have to give him credit for that. He just says, it offers inspiration to all those teams who harbor aspirations of one day usurping the established order to Leicester, to Wolves, to Everton and the rest. The yeah. divide can be bridged. Permanence is an illusion. So I'm sick of thinking that it's sad that Man United or Arsenal aren't good anymore just because they used to be good, basically. Yeah, you know, so. and I think that's uniquely uh, interesting for an American to think about because, you know, with promotion or relegation, um, teams are just happy to remain up. Uh, not to win a Super Bowl like it would be here in the United States. They're just happy that their team is in the Premier League. And I don't think that would be enough for American fans. Um, and then, you know, like, I think your point, that Sam, or one of them is is basically uh, competition is good and nobody should be, you know, one of the top four teams year after year after year after year without really, you know, just crushing everybody else financially. There's a lot more money in the game now, and so it's been shaken up a little bit. Grail, what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm interested because you're, you know, you know the English. Well, really you know, well. I it, it, I like the big clubs. You know, I like it when the big clubs do well. I I also like the Leicester cities of the world. I love when a team that that isn't expected to do well wins the whole thing. I mean, to me, the best season ever of the EPL was when Leicester City won it. Because right. it was unexpected, and it was just it was it was a once in a lifetime thing. So, yeah, but it's against all odds because financially the decks are stacked against them, and yeah, and, and they just that's, rose that's, to a level. They played at a level that was just unbelievable, and they won so many games in the final ten minutes, and it was like the stars were aligned for them. It'll be interesting this season. I I think that everything's up in the air this this season, and I think you could have a team 
you know, like an Aston Villa or somebody do a Leicester this year because there's no clear cut. All right. Clear-cut what are leader. you over? What are you over grilling over the ball? Yeah. So I'm over um, just the ridiculous amount of loss we've had in 2020. And, and, you know, let's, let's put COVID at the top of it in terms of the people that have died from COVID, but in terms of entertainers and soccer players. And again, we're going to talk about this later, but Paulo Rossi, Passed away at age 64, and we've lost another icon. We lost Diego Maradona. Paolo Rossi was, is a god in Italy, and I just feel like God. We got to get to 2021 because we keep losing really big people in sports and entertainment, and then obviously our fellow citizens, which is even more important. Yeah, I know. It just. I'm hoping that through this just sort of pandemic that we come out of it on the other end with just sort of better understanding about life and what's precious in the world and, and um, a sense of community. Um, yeah. Well, anybody who's civics. been through it with a family member certainly does. But unfortunately, I hate to say, but I think half of the country doesn't feel that way. All right. So, you know, uh, I'll just move on because we, we've yep. kind of covered enough with the what are you over today. But I, cause I wanted to get the national team last night. Really, uh, some great news still coming out of the u.s men's national team players that i hadn't heard of players that i've followed like a bit but the u.s six nil uh, men's friendly last night over el salvador you know functioning during this pandemic somehow making things happen players trying to stay fit um a big night for paul Ariola, who who had an acl injury uh he's uh, was the most experienced player out there with 34 caps, but boy, he's had a hell of a year uh, trying to come back from that ACL injury. He's only been training the last month uh, with DC United and, uh, you know, had a brace last night. So it uh, looked good. I've always liked the way Paul plays. He's very positive. He's skillful. He's quick of foot. And I think he's going to play a big part in, um, in moving ahead. Now, a couple other players, this kid, Chris Muller, um, age 24, got his first cap. I think it's Mueller, night. right? Mueller, right. I think, yeah. Uh, Mueller, uh, I was going to say something about the the uh, Trump or whatever was it, uh, FBI agent Mueller. Um, <laughs> Mueller. Um, so at age twenty four, though, he, uh, his first international match. Kid's an athlete, man, but he has some, showed some real composure and some real skill. Uh, Aya Akinola, uh, did I say that right, Grail? And uh, Juan uh, that was Arroyo, close enough. That was Juan close Arroyo, enough. Julian Arroyo. And um, Kyle Duncan, Marco Fonfon all came off the bench to make uh, their national team debuts last night. So for me, as, a, as a, an observer of the national team, we used to know, we've talked about this in the show before, we used to know all the players, and now there's just a bigger pool and um, some just great athletes out there, but skillful uh, composure, and it's, it's happening, guys. Well, as a showcase for MLS, I think everybody in the starting 11, I believe, plays in MLS. And... Uh, so what a great showcase for the league and uh, must have made Don Garber and everybody very proud. Yeah, I just, you know, it, it, it's again, it's hard to gauge because they scored five goals in 10 minutes. I, it was like El Salvador might as well have just been in the locker room for the first 12 minutes of the match because it was just an absolute onslaught. So it's, it's I mean, obviously Mueller, you know, there were some great individual performances. It's just hard to take away other than there's some other good players beyond the ones that we already know. So they have depth. That's what my takeaway right. is just more depth that Burhalter. But in terms of what the result means, I don't really know what it means, frankly. Yeah, you know, I, I think what it means is uh that there is depth, as you mentioned, Grail, but nothing 
creates a better team than competition within uh, your, your team. Because yeah. if you're battling for, you know, an outside back position and you've got some guys who can all step in and do it, uh, it, it you know, you raise your level of competition and, and that is a, a really good thing. So, yeah. you know, the last two outings, uh, last, what is it, three outings, I think, for the U.S. men's national team, they just, just have looked really, really good. And, and yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because people say they sort of belittle the opponents a little bit, but you know, El Salvador, we've never tuned them up like that before that easily, it seems. And, and not I wasn't expecting that. I yeah, can tell you he, that. I was expecting a cl- much closer match. And I think Wales even punches above their weight. And so people were saying, well, they didn't have Bale and a few other players, but like we, we didn't have all of our players. So I, I think the biggest thing that's come out of, out of this is depth. And hopefully yep. you have more players are becoming aware of the way Burhalter plays. So, uh, and then other good men's national team news. Last weekend, Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney became the first trio of U.S. men uh, uh, soccer players to score for Euro clubs in one day. First time since 2005. Um, does anybody know? You guys know who the other three players are? The well, I, I do, but I, I do, but I'll throw it to you guys. Uh, I do too, because it's today's quiz question. But I guess we're going to do it a little bit earlier. Oh, really? Because, all three of us had it on our docket. Man. It's, funny. it's the uh, first time we've ever we've ever known the answer to a trivia question. Is it a Claudia Reyna, uh, uh, McBride? Um, geez, I don't know. The third one would be the trickier one, but it makes sense once you know who it is. Think mm-hmm. about a guy who was a very aggressive midfielder. For the U.S. national team, U.S. Men's national team, who you never wanted like uh, nipping at your heels. Oh, the German American? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Jermaine Jones. Jermaine, yeah, he was not yeah. Jermaine to the conversation. Oh, uh, he he would, yeah, he's the guy that I would never want to have behind me if I was playing. No, no, yeah, well, no, right? that's the kind of player. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. I, I loved oh. watching him play in Brazil. He lit it up, man. He he ran oh. that midfield. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so good news. So big win. I thought it was a great way to end 2020 for the team. And again, uh, leaves us with a lot of hope for the future. And I, you know, a year ago, I think we were all pretty down on what the future was. And rightly so. And And that was before the pandemic. Yeah, no. And now it's just, it's like, wow, if we could, it'll be really interesting to see how all the pieces fit together. That's what I'm really excited to see is like the core four, if you want to call like Destin McKinney and, and Pulisic. Uh, and Reina, the core four, and then surrounded with the other pieces, like what what all of that looks like on one pitch. I'm excited to see that. Yeah, just and, a note on the uh, on the McKenney goal this weekend. He had, he had a great goal in the Champions League. I yeah. don't know if you guys saw that, but oh, yeah. uh, far more important was his goal um, at the weekend against Torino. Juve were actually losing one zero with about ten minutes to go. He came on as a sub and scored a goal to tie it, and then they went on to win. Um, Really big win for them because they've not been playing that well in Serie A. So that was so the volley. getting better and better. He's the volley, better better. Sam, in the Juve match was great. I mean, it was a it was a give and go too. You saw it. Oh, that, I mean, that was a much that was a much better goal. God, but I think in the, the more well important taken. goal, yeah. in my opinion, came at the weekend. Yeah. And so, um, so again, as you said, Grail, eleven starters in MLS, uh, and Orlando's Chris Muller, who I thought you know really shined with two goals. Mueller. Are we going with Muller or Mueller? <laughs> Mueller. How do you even know it's Mueller? They said Mueller. I mean, John, you know, I mean, everybody, oh, 
last night in the broadcast kept saying Mueller, so I decided to go with <laughs> all right, that. So Mueller, because uh, John right. Champion says Mueller, I say Mueller. That's all. Oh, I'm well, they say Derby when it should be Derby. Yeah. yeah. Who, who knows? So, uh, all right, but MLS, uh, the MLS Cup this Saturday night. It's Seattle and Columbus again. I got to tell you, man, uh, that is a great success story for different reasons. Columbus, um, the the you know the franchise that was supposed to leave, they were they had left, uh, went to Austin, but. Um, Columbus has remained and, and there they are they're in the MLS championship and then um, playing Seattle and Seattle boy you just cannot discount them when it comes to playoff time and yeah I think you know props to Brian Schmetzer because and he was the assistant coach for Ziggy there for a long time and and no one really he was just sort of an interim coach and look at the job he's done and he's brought him you know brought him there it's hard to bet yeah. against them but it's at Columbus so mm-hmm. you got a little home field advantage there. It's their last game in that stadium because they're moving. That part of the deal was they got a new stadium that's being built in downtown. They got new investors in the club. Their future is really bright. I'm going with Columbus. I just feel like this is Columbus's year. Everything they've been through in the last two years, it just feels to me like it's all coming down to this match. And I'm, I say Columbus 2-1. Columbus 2-1, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's it tough out. to play in Seattle. Um it really is, but uh, you got. But they're playing in Columbus. Yeah, but I mean, to play in Seattle, that, that that is such a great atmosphere, and they, you know, it's tough to beat them there. And so now oh, you're yeah. also talking about the weather in Columbus. It's uh, you know, it's why we'd always try to play the Mexican national team in Columbus. Exactly. Frozen I was there ground. for that game. It was freezing. But I tell you, this plays right into Caleb Porter. The way he plays, uh, you know, his players are tough. They they are always giving effort, and um, so. You're going 2-1 Columbus. I'd say 2 yeah. Columbus. How about that? All right. Uh, Sam, you got a pick? Uh, I'll take Seattle just because they're okay. the slight betting favorite, and yep. I'm not going to bet against them anyway considering their record in the playoffs recently. Yep. So. And um, yeah. Grail, do you want to talk a little bit about the State of the Union, Don Garbers, or do you want to talk about Yeah, yeah well, just, I mean, just quickly. I mean, it was just it was interesting because, um, I mean, he talked about everything they'd been through this season, and – Obviously, we've talked about the bubble and the success of it. I mean, I've got to say, when all is said and done, you know, kudos to everybody at MLS for getting the season completed. I Absolutely. mean, I think it's a miracle. And I've got to say this, and, and I'm not just saying this because I know Don Garber. Uh, I think his steady leadership and the fact that he's just a very unflappable guy has really helped the league through this very difficult situation. You know, he's just he's a very even keel guy. And he's never too high and never too low. And I just think in these really challenging times, it's really helped the league a lot. So, all right, get a room, get a room, you two. <laughs> all right, let's, let's talk about that. No, I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And it's a sort of a stability um, that he has brought to the league. And yeah. uh, you know, Mark Abbott's sort of vision, and uh, it's working. It's working. And it never works as fast as people want it to, but but it's happening here in this country. And I think, you know. Uh, as U.S. men's national team goes, as MLS goes, as the women's national team goes, it's all part of the same, you know, body. And, um, mm-hmm. and we, we have to focus on all of it. It'd be actually a good question for, for our guest, Dave Wright, today. So, yeah. uh, so let's talk Champions League a little bit. Uh, Manchester United got bounced from the tourney, huh? Who saw that one? Yeah, so I, I, I saw the highlights of that. And they, they were scored on very early by Leipzig. So they were playing catch-up. And they just needed a draw. And as we, as we all know that just needing a draw is like the worst thing you can tell yeah. anybody in any sport. Like, you just need a draw. So they promptly came out and went down 
Um, you know, early, they, they mounted a, a comeback towards the end, but it was too little too late. And I just, I feel like it's Man United season, you know, it's just very up and down, like so many clubs. All right, Barcelona looked uh, not so hot. God, they were terrible. 3-0 lost to Juventus. Did you watch that Did you that see one, any of that, Sam? Yeah, I saw a decent amount of that one. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, that, that's another one where they just didn't have to lose by more than two goals to win the group. So, I, I don't know, that's got sort of a strange mentality going into the game. But, they yeah, so and you, Juve, as I said before, have not been very good this year. So, that's no. – I, I was pretty – surprising i mean nothing like two two penalty kicks for ronaldo to pad his scoring stats either by the way we always we always talk about how many goals like ronaldo and messi score from the penalty spot right and it definitely adds their totals but uh yeah they were just uh barca just looked like they were disinterested it was uh, Messi's so, so out of there I think Messi's so out of there it's just uh they, they were having a lot of problems a great yeah. goal by McKenney though Sam huh yeah beautiful goal as I mentioned earlier um yeah, yeah. I mean it was a big one too I mean I I think the one against Torino and City I was more important but you know they they that got them the second goal they had to win by three to win the group and they did so yeah I just loved the goal though because he at the top of the box he looked for his teammate wide and then made the run. It was it was a one-two at the top of the box, but and the, the pass coming back was phenomenal. The little cross, but then McKenney had to adjust himself, you know, kind of in the air to hit that volley. Just technique-wise, it was really good. Yeah, he's. It's good to see him playing more, and I think he'll continue yeah. to play because that Juve midfield has been kind of unsettled and hasn't been great. Uh, they're still yeah. trying to find the right formula. So I, I yeah, yeah, I think things are looking up for him there. All right, Man City game, they uh, just sort of coasted against Marseille. Yeah, they, they, I feel like they're starting to look like the Man City Vold. It was really good for them to have Aguero back and Aguero scored. And that, you know, I've always said to you guys that to me, he's the linchpin to the whole thing for them because Jesus and, and uh, Sterling just are not Aguero. Aguero is one of the, in my mind, one of the top not five strikers. Not pure finishers. Aguero yeah, he's one of the top five strikers in the world when he's, when he's healthy. So, so that was good for them. And then, uh, De Bruyne is happy to have him back, I'm sure, um, because, you know, that boy puts the ball on more feet and, uh, you know, a lot of missed opportunities. I mean, oh, yeah. for as, as good as Sterling's numbers are, I swear to God, he, he misses more opportunities than he, than he makes half yeah. the time. So yeah. um, Bayern coasted pretty easily. They dispatched yeah. uh, Lokomotiv. I mean, I mean the, ma- the match that I really want to talk about is the PSG-Istanbul match that was suspended. Yeah, because, I was going to talk about that at the end, but let, let's talk yeah. about it now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it, actually we're going to talk about it right at the top because it was the most intriguing. So in the 14th minute, they suspended the match because apparently the fourth official, who's the guy who's on the touchline, making sure the coaches don't run onto the pitch and do crazy things. Yeah, um, made a racial racist comment. What was it? I, it he, well, he called. He referred to one of the coaches on Istanbul as the black one, and they took offense to like, why would you need to refer to him as that? So the Istanbul players got up in arms. The PSJ players heard about it. They also were offended and they both teams agreed to walk off the pitch. They tried to negotiate to finish the match that day, but they ended up not finishing it on Tuesday. They brought in a new officiating crew, finished the game on Wednesday and PSG won 5-1. Do you you think that was that racist? Because of all the the terrible things we've heard coming from the stands and places. um, We'll put it this way. It offended 
people on both teams, so they clearly felt that it was offensive. I mean, I think he me, repeated it too, right? Because well, yeah, and, and the guy on the receiving end of it was certainly offended by it. He was the one that was he was the assistant coach. So um, I've been yeah. referred to as the white guy, though. I mean, here's my point. It said like I have a friend, a comedian named Wally Collins, who's black, and he has a joke about trying a white person trying to refer to a black person but not saying that they're a black person and he's like yeah the guy in the flower the guy with the shirt with the the guy um the, and wally goes the black guy and he's like yeah the black guy so yeah. i thought of that bit last night you know with wally because it's it's funny um you know when he does it on stage but he's black and he can say that but i, I think i guess the black one um, I don't know. I think, you know, look, look, to me, it's all the like, monkey sounds and bananas that are thrown out and all the crazy. Yeah, but is it our place to decide who that offends? To me, it's the person who's on the receiving end of the offense that is. The okay. One who so if someone says, it. if someone says the white coach, the white one, I can walk off the field because I'm offended. I mean, don't Flynn, tell me. I mean, Flynny, come on. I'm, that's, look, I'm that's, playing devil's advocate. I know here, you are, but, but it's, but it's not the same. Saying the white one is not the same as because because of the history involved through hundreds of years of racism. I, I just don't think that it's a parallel. If you want to say the Spanish one or the the, <laughs> the dark one or something, that to me is closer than saying the white one. Right. I mean, I also this? think, you know, you, you mentioned, I, I don't think there's any argument that worse things have been said at a game, but yeah. it's not it's not coming from, you know, officials. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I mean, that's so unprofessional. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty absurd. And I mean, a Romanian, and by the way, we've talked about this before. Eastern Europeans have a history of being racist. This fourth official was Romanian. Now, I'm not right. painting all Romanians as being that way, but I'm just saying that it comes up a lot culturally in a lot of Eastern European countries. Right. Right. right? And I just think, look, the players that I've played with um, – you know, growing up in the 80s, playing with, uh, you know, two two great players who played in college who were both of color. Um, there was a racial incident every week on the field. And it, yeah. it opened my eyes to what these guys uh, of color actually go through. And I was like, my God, it opened my eyes. And so mm -hmm. to, to think of the things that I heard on the field and, and you know, uh, ran after and chased after other players because of it, you know, because there would be bench clearing brawls because of it. Um, that I just saw that one as not um, as incendiary, but you're, you're, you know, the point is correct. It's uh, you don't refer to anyone. Um, yeah. anyway, so, so I just, I just wanted to add one thing. I mean, yeah, I agree. Totally grail. It's not, it's not up to us to decide who's should be offended by what um, on the, on the Eastern European front. I, you know, I think having lived in Italy and spent a bunch of time in Europe, I mean, there is significant anti Eastern sentiment too. I think so. You know, they may have a history of racial stuff, but they also right. take plenty of abuse. I mean, fair the, point. The Very gypsy, fair point. Yeah, gypsy comments. Yep. I mean, I, you know, it's uh, again, it's not, it certainly doesn't excuse anything. I just think and I'm not and, and, and to be clear to our listeners, I am not casting aspersions against a whole group of people. No, I no, I understand they're, that they're with fans too from those countries. There have been incidents where they're doing where they're chanting racist. You know, it's it's funny. I have a uh, a friend who is on uh, this thing called Facing History, where they teach about history and and sort of lessons that we should not forget as a as a people, as a as a world, as a country. Um, and you know, she's you know, um, she said to her daughter once, "I, I got gypped," and 
her daughter freaked out and said, that's mom, that's, you know, a, about a gypsy. And that's a slur. And the mother had no idea. So I think when you're talking generationally and then also culturally, yeah. sometimes people aren't always aware. But uh, certainly to say the black one is uh, is uncalled for. Well, so. and to Sam's point, it was an official. That makes it even mm, yeah, worse because it's a person in authority. So Well, and someone is just not supposed to be stoking tensions. Exactly. You know, someone is supposed to be calming people down. Hopefully. Right. Above the fray, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right, let's talk EPL. Uh, they had some fans uh, first match. Got first fans in 271 days. I think March 9th was the last day they had fans in, in the EPL. They had 2,000 fans is the limit. But, uh, yeah, it was just great. You know, I, I, I was watching that Chelsea-Leeds match, and the, the uh, managers were so grateful. The players were so grateful. And, yeah, uh, yeah just, you know, um, saluting the fans as, as well they should. So, hopefully uh, – you know, more to come. Well, how about this though? To go back to the last point, I wanted to move on from that, the, the racial incident, but um, uh, on a darker side, sort of some Millwall supporters booed players who took a knee in honor of Black Lives Matter. Now, Millwall yeah. has been always known. Oh, yeah. Since the Casey Keller days. You know, oh, yes. Told some harrowing stories about Very that. incendiary. Incendiary yeah, like, fans. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they booed the Black Lives Matter movement, which uh, is, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. it, which is surprising. So we're, we're about, you know, maybe 20 minutes into the show and you haven't mentioned Chelsea yet, Sam, uh, Grail. So why don't you do that? Now? No, just very quickly. Uh, nice. That was a, a big matchup. I mean, the Chelsea leads rivalry goes back to the seventies. It was brutal. It was, it was physical. It was nasty. And now it's totally different because you got two teams that are, that are highly skilled and uh, yeah, Chelsea looked great. Giroud scored again. Uh, 13 goals and 13 starts. I mean, the fact is when he starts, he scores. So, um, I, he's just and, not a, di- I guess he's just not a dynamic looking player, but boy, he gets it done. I, he I also, he, you dialogue. know, when you watch him too, uh, Flinny, I would like when I was watching the U S men's national team last night, how many balls went across the six yard box with no forwards there? Right. The thing about Giroud, Giroud goes right to the box. He goes. Yeah. Right, he is right in the thick of it there, which is why he scores a lot of goals. I think and every he, team now wants to think of itself as you know a modern progressive club, and you know yeah. to play with a sort of focal point central striker is sort of seen as old fashioned. I think yeah. that's why. Wow, you put, you put the ball in the air. There's a good chance he's getting on the end of it. It's amazing. And he's also not as you know he's not as fast as other guys, but he's fast enough. That's all. I need. He doesn't need to be the fastest guy in the pitch. He's great in the air, and he's he's a handful because he's such a big guy. Pulisic scored so, as well. I guess. Yep. Yeah. Very nice to see that. You know, great uh, great pass by Timo Werner. Um, yeah, just good to see Pulisic back. And God, I just. You know, every time he steps on that pitch, I'm worried that like a hamstring or something. Right, and we all are. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And Werner's yeah. got some wheels, man. That kid can move. He's fast. He's fast for a big guy. He is really yeah. fast. So, yeah. And Arsenal, uh, their woes continue. Oh man. Yeah, you know they lost two nil to Spurs. They just look lost at the moment, and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think Arteta is a good coach. I hope they stick with him, and I j- they just need some different players on the team. But right now, they are just floundering. Maybe Arsene Wenger's looking better than they thought he did, the Arsenal fans who wanted him out. Um, you know. Yeah, although Wenger has said, you know, kind of after the fact that he thinks that maybe he was allowed to stay on too long, which I thought was interesting. Well, that's, that's interesting. Self-admission, yeah. Self-existential uh, thoughts by yes. Frenchman, you know. Yes. Um, all right, and Sam, you know, before we get going, we're talking about, um, you know, how the style of plays has changed. And 
uh, Giroux, you know, he's scored more balls with his head. I think he takes PKs with his head, uh, Giroux. But um, it, it was an interesting article you forwarded about the prospect of soccer without headers. Is, is this viable? Well, I, I don't know. I, it's, uh, it was an article in The Guardian by a pundit, um, and he was talking about specifically how in rugby they're talking about getting contact out of the game at younger levels because of head injuries. And right. I was also thinking about the soccer thing and the headers and whether or not we need to be doing that at youth soccer. And, and just basically what would soccer look like without headers? Um, and I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm not – my my style of play, let's say, was not very physical and aerial. So I, I wouldn't really care. I mean, I always enjoyed playing futsal when the ball was just on the ground the whole time. Uh, right. To me, that's how you're supposed to play. But um, you were a midfielder, man. I was kind of all over the place. But oh, you're um, one of those guys, a free spirit. Meanwhile, yeah. Grail and I are working our butts off in the midfield, trying and heading and heading the ball a lot. I must have headed the ball 20 times a match. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think there's going to be any traction behind this. But uh, it was interesting to think about. And I think it's something we'll see it. At, I think we're already seeing it at youth levels where they're trying to have kids oh, not yeah. head the ball. I mean. I think it teaches you some good skill. I mean, if you can't head the ball, it teaches you to be more creative with, you know, controlling balls, bringing stuff down. So in Look, terms of that, things. I think it's a good, a good move. They're, um, you know, they're, I think it's 12 years old, I think, before they let you head the ball mm -hmm. in youth soccer. I had Brian McBride on when the show was at ESPN and, and, you know, he didn't like it because he, you know, the problem is when you're teaching young kids to head the ball, they generally head the ball incorrectly over and over again because they're closing yeah. their eyes, they're moving Top their of their head. Yeah, and so he says you develop that skill early to realize how to head the ball correctly. And when you head the ball correctly, you don't really have the, uh, the impact. And another thing was, you know, the guys who are suffering from, you know, uh, repeated head, heading, you know, as they get older, um, the balls back, you know, in the 60s and the 70s was like that leather brown ball that got soaked with water in the English, you know, game. And then they had to head the ball. Jeffrey Hurst and all those guys, you know, it was like, yeah, man, that, that hit you. You had a ball now. Uh, it's a lot lighter. I mean, even oh, when yeah. we played in college, Grail, I mean, in, you know, these balls. It's like a medicine and, ball. Yeah, it was a medicine ball you were heading. <laughs> like, you'd set your, you know, your neck would totally be out of alignment by the end of the head area. <laughs> Everything crushed. All right, so look, I'm really excited about our guest on Over the Ball today. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. I haven't uh, I've really talked to him professionally about the, this stuff in a long time. He's a new chief uh what is he grail he's the chief chief commercial officer and what is that exactly before we talk to him because it's part marketing part just it's everything i mean it's 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 everything honestly he i uh, was looking at his job description and i'm sure he'll get into it but it basically covers everything from marketing to merchandise sales to everything you know everything that would be uh, involved around generating revenue for the brand all right, he's a class act. It'll be great to get uh, to talk to him. Dave Wright, coming up in just a bit. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, a man who in September was named the Chief Commercial Officer with uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. Dave has worked for 15 years at MLS and Soccer United Marketing. Um, he served as Senior Vice President for Global Sponsorship. But 
the man took an interesting turn. And look, I, in full disclosure, I've known you for a long time. Uh, Dave Wright, welcome to Over the Ball. Um, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Well, so uh, yeah, I've known you for a long time. We're going to get to the whole deviation that you took. You know, Because I know you, you live and breathe soccer. And uh, you jumped out of your comfort zone, out of your soccer bubble there. You went down to major league, uh, minor league baseball and, and ran the things down there. And I want to talk about that a little bit. But first, got to talk about last night's game and the U.S. men's national team and how exciting this young team looks. And, and as a marketing guy, a commercial guy, you've got to be excited. Oh, tremendously excited. I think, you know, what we've seen on display, actually on both the men and women's side over the last 30 days, is really exciting. The fact that we're back on the field, first and foremost, right. is phenomenal. But the actual, the quality on the field inside the white lines has been tremendous. And you saw that. I mean, I think it was 4 nothing last night in the 27th minute, mm -hmm. um, which was really exciting. And quality, quality play. Um, yeah. And I think a sign of things to come. You know, I, I, the U.S. teams have always been known for athleticism. And then you'd always have the one or two special players like, you know, Tab or, or Claudia, you know, and then you'd have players fill in, would fill their roles. It seems now you have all these athletic American guys, but who are creative and skillful. And I think, uh, you know, a big part of this, you know, my, my theory is a lot of these guys go to college or play in the development, you know, groups, and then they have some time to develop in MLS or overseas. Um, you know, so they are hitting their marks. Uh, Muller last night, what, at 24 years old, making his debut, two goals. I mean, he's had a chance to gel in MLS. And uh, mm -hmm. these guys get to move up at that point. And so for, you know, like I said, for a marketing person, this is, uh, this is really exciting. 100%. I think first credit goes to Ernie Stewart, who's heading up the sporting side of, of U.S. soccer. Um, and, and what really stands out to me on the men's side over the last 30 days, I mean, if you think about Wales and Panama, that was predominantly a, a, a European-based squad. Right. And, you know, players like Serginho Dest and, and Ramia and, and, and Weston, you know, creative attacking players that, you know, are playing in some of the best leagues around the world. And then you look at last night and you had a predominantly U.S.-based uh, roster, you know, with, with names that maybe hadn't gotten the time on the national team, but holy cow, you give them a shot and, you know, look what they were able to do last night. And, and, and funny, you're right. It's not just about being the most athletic. And you saw that last night, I mean, athletically at a whole other level, but, right. but the, the, the technical side and the tactical side, you know, was really, really exciting. And, and again, you look at the last three games on the men's side and, and it's a really, you know, interesting time and exciting dynamic time to look forward to. You know, it's funny. I go back to 94 to, to when I covered these guys originally. And back then there used to be, there was a little bit of a divide between the, and you'll probably remember this, the, the European based players and MLS based players. And they were sort of like, Oh, the European guys are coming in here with this cocky attitude. I don't feel that anymore. I feel like there's a, a natural progression with players developing in MLS or some go overseas, they go back and forth and there's no, it's just a matter for me. I mean, with Burhalter, it's, it's, you're picking some of these players. You have a lot of depth. Now you have a lot of decisions that you have to make. I mean, all of us classically have watched like the Italian national team. Like they don't even pick guys that are fantastic strikers because they don't fit in with the team that particular year, you know? Uh, so I think these are good problems for the U S team uh, to have so many players. We're trying to figure it out, you know, covering them, but uh, for a coach to sort of say, okay, who fits in well, who's peaking at the right time. 
Um, but having said that, now as a marketing person, you know, one of the things I used to say to ESPN when I was working for them back in 94 was, we have to know who these players are. Because if you know who they are, their backstories are really interesting. It, it makes you um, empathize and follow them and, and under, hey, he went to UVA. Oh, his father was Claudia Arena. Oh, you know, um, his father was a serviceman. You know, you start to watch the players instead of just 11 blobs moving around the field, you, you're attached emotionally. Is that part of what your approach is with marketing? 100%. And, and you know, it, it's interesting. You look at the evolution of the sport over the last, call it 20 years, and, and the infrastructure is much different. So, you know, you look at MLS, uh, you look at NWSL and the role that they play, you know, inside the white lines in terms of developing the product, but then the day in and day out, you know, efforts to grow the game outside the white lines. And I think that's really important. Um, but I think we have a ways to go. You know, I referenced, you know, right now we've got, we've got 10 players playing in the Champions League. Um, you look at a guy like Sergio Dest, who's, you know, you know, scored several goals for Barcelona. Um, you know, a kid like that walks down the, the streets in Barcelona and is probably recognized. Um, we need to get to a point as a country where he's walking down the streets in New York or Des Moines or San Francisco and is recognized. And, and I think we have a ways to go. Um, but the, the, the fact that we've got these personalities and these incredible players that are, are, you know, putting their talents on display, you know, week in, week out on the field is a great start. And we now have a generation. We've got a generation that is dialed in. And then you think about content, you think about access, you think about how, you know, I've got a 17 and a 15 year old, you know, how they're consuming soccer content at levels just not seen before, right. you know, to have the product now on both the men's and women and now access, you know, I think speaks to where this thing's going and the huge opportunity we have. And, and oh, by the way, we've got a World Cup in 2026 that'll serve as a nice little lightning rod for the sport uh, from a growth standpoint. Sam? Yeah, I, you answered this a little bit, Dave, but just to follow up on that, I was going to ask what the challenges are specifically having these guys that are based in Europe um, and, you know, trying to market them and make them big here when they're, you know, not on ESPN and primetime every night. And, you know, maybe people don't have access to all the games, things like that. Yeah, I think from a macro standpoint, Sam, I think uh, there's just a lot of competition for share of mind, you know, and, and, Again, I often look through the lens of, of, of our kids as a, as a small pilot and, you know, they're consuming so much content, so many sports, so many entertainment uh, pieces of content, you know, where does soccer fall? Um, you know, and I think it starts, you know, as we start to perform uh, at the highest levels on the field, it will break through. On the women's side, we've done it for, you know, 25, 30 years. Um, you know, and, and many of those players, to their credit, are, are becoming well-known, which is fantastic. I think there's room for growth on the men's side. And I think, uh, I think you know, if, if the last 30 days are indication, there's this next generation of player that I think is going to really resonate. I know from a U.S. soccer standpoint, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about content, you know, and how do we engage with, you know, 111 million, actually 120 million fans of the game in this country, you know, yeah. beyond just the game itself. Like last night, it was a little bit of a spike. We had a game. Um, but how do we, how do we continue that engagement 365 days a year? And I think content is going to be a massive piece to a much larger puzzle on how we do that. 
Yeah, winning helps and having an exciting team and young players like that uh, helps as well. Grail? Yeah, uh, Dave, just want to talk a little bit about your uh, four-year experience at uh, minor league baseball because that kind of came between your, your two soccer uh, jobs. Um, the the M, uh, minor league baseball is known for being a very promotionally minded kind of fan friendly league. And I was just curious what you think you're going to be able to take from that experience and apply to what you're doing currently. Yeah, that's a good question, girl. I think for me, you know, just to take it back a, a few steps. So, you know, I was very fortunate to spend 15 years at MLS and soccer net marketing. That is, is, is always the case at, at a company when you've been there for so long, you start to look around and figure out, okay, what's next? And I've always been a believer that you really grow the most when you're forced to swim. You know, how do you put yourself in situations that are outside your comfort zone? And if you can navigate those waters, you know, you will have grown having gone through that process. And that ultimately is what led me to minor league baseball. So let's think about that. A guy who grew up playing soccer, played in college, coached a little bit, spent 15 years of his professional career in the game to then go to minor league baseball. I can honestly say unequivocally without any hesitation, that's about as far outside of my comfort zone as I could have imagined. I went from New York and soccer to Florida and baseball, but I got to tell you, it was exactly what I was looking for. And I am a much better person. I'm a much better executive for having gone through that. You know, I, I, I walked in not really knowing much and I'll never forget the first time I, I, I met the board, I was very open and honest. I was like, guys, I, I know minor league baseball. I kind of know a little thing, a, a little bit about the, the business side, but I'm not bringing a whole lot to the table, which I think was really valuable because I was able to walk in with a fresh perspective. I was able to walk in having spent time building a sport in this country that, you know, had its ups and, ups and downs, that, you know, was, was a challenger brand. And, you know, to take that, what I call strategic hustle and apply it to now a sport that has massive history, that has massive scale, over 100 million self-designated minor league baseball fans, 41 million people go to minor league baseball games a year. But to apply some of the key learnings that I had at MLS to a more established property in MILB was, I think, really, really valuable. And, you know, I, I was blown away. I mean, some of the more sophisticated executives in sport apply their trade in minor league baseball. They, they chose to, to be an executive of the Memphis uh, team or, or Albuquerque isotopes or whatever it may be. And so to be able to come in and work with some really sharp individuals, work with owners that were waking up every single day thinking about how to grow the game, um, you know, was a four and a half year stop that I'll look back on very, very fondly. Um, and like I said, has made me a better executive and prepared me for what's next. You know, I had known you so long, you know, I knew you in graduate school at UMass. I saw you as a player and a coach there, you know, you had this sort of Midwestern hustle, uh, an, an IU player, Indiana player. Um, it seems like you've applied that, that work ethic to your business career as well. But I was quite surprised when you were getting out of soccer, because I know you did live and breathe the game. But it reminded me a little bit of the journey of Hank Steinbrecher, the former Secretary General of U.S. Soccer. You know, uh, Hank was a coach at Boston University, and, and we're in this soccer bubble again. And then Hank through the Olympics and then through sponsorships went to work for Gatorade. And he said, Kevin, it opened my eyes to mm -hmm. the possibilities and the professionalism. And I said, well, what's, what was your criticism of soccer? He said, well, it was a little bit, everybody wearing a mullet and flip flops kind of doing the soccer thing when it was like, no man, this is a business. 
with growth and potential and and we got to hit it as a business thing not as a as a cult or like skateboarders and you know because a lot of us soccer players it was like being a skateboarder you know it was sort of not in the mainstream yet so i, I think this is a this is a great thing um so with the covid how is that sort of uh stood in the way have you moved to chicago will you be moving to chicago what's the, what's the story with that whole thing because the other thing is that you know one of the reasons i respect you is such a you're such a great family man so i think um there's so many things you have to think about with a big move like this yeah I, I mean i wish i could say that um you know joining u.s soccer during a global pandemic was exactly <laughs> what i had planned uh, you know sometimes Brilliant. You know, you're yeah, just i mean it's just as we planned it i mean you know, but it is what it is and um you know it, it has its unique challenges you know obviously you know i come from the game so i i, I know a little something about u.s soccer but honestly you know, I only knew a handful of folks. So, you know, joining uh, the company and, and, and meeting people for the first time and, and developing relationships over Zoom is is uh, not what we learned at UMass in grad school, I'll tell you that. Right. Um, but you make the most of it. And and there's so many silver linings in what we're going through. It, it, you know, it, it, COVID is a, is a tough situation for every business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, but, um, you know, we're having to look at the business a little bit differently, which I think is uh, a really good thing for, for business as a whole. Um, but then on the personal side, you know, this week alone, we'll have four games and I'll be able to go to every single one of those games between our son and our daughter. So the ability to spend time with family uh, while still working, working the tail off uh, with US soccer has, has been, you know, a really good thing. As it relates to, to Chicago, you know, when travel comes back up, um, I'll be in Chicago every single week. Um, you know, we'll likely stay here for some time, um, but I'll be doing the commuting thing and, and balancing, you know, what's important to me, you know, on the family side with, you know, needing to, to really roll up the sleeves on the business side. Yeah. Everybody's reassessing, you know, values and how to do business. And so, um, you know, that's a lot of it's a, the great unknown as we come out of this mm -hmm. whole thing. Grail. Yeah, I would, Dave, I was reading um, the uh, recap of Don Garber's kind of State of the Union address about MLS and the, you know, billion dollars that's been lost year over year. And I'm just curious, you know, obviously you worked closely with Don when you were working at MLS, you know, how much that relationship helps you personally moving forward with your new role at U.S. Soccer? Yeah, I would say, you know, in, in business, I think relationships matter. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think there's a credibility factor that I bring to the table, obviously a, a long history. Um, but let's not forget, I, I also stepped out of the soccer space, which I think is really important. And I bring a new perspective that I wouldn't have had, had I continued at 425th Avenue. Um, so I have the utmost respect for, for Gary and, and, and uh, Gary Stevenson and Mark Abbott and, and Don and, and the balance of the team there. Um, and, you know, our sport has a unique opportunity. You know, what, what makes our sport so complicated also serves as an opportunity. What makes it so complicated is there's a bunch of disparate parts that are all off doing their own thing. And I think to the extent we can galvanize and get everyone rowing in the same direction as a sport, I think the, the opportunities are endless. And I, I think that, you know, I, I hopefully will be able to bring a little bit of, of that to the table. And I'm just excited to be back in. I'm excited to be, you know, waking up thinking about a sport that I care so deeply about that, 
Um, you know, I'm part of a team that, you know, is really passionate about growing this game and has now, you know, this, this runway up to a global event like the World Cup that we're going to be able to showcase the game at levels not seen since, since 94 or 99 when we hosted the Women's World Cup, um, which is really special. I mean, there, we are we're approaching a moment in time for the sport unlike any eight to 10 year run that we've seen. And you think back to when uh, the, the World Cup was here in 94. I mean, that, that was what launched MLS in 96. Mm-hmm. You think about the role the 99 Women's World Cup played and uh, professional sport uh, for women. And, and, and from a social standpoint, the impact that that has had uh, from an empowerment standpoint with, with girls and, and women in sport, you know, so the, the opportunity globally, globally, globally. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just the, the impact beyond the game is really powerful and, and something that I'm just delighted to be a part of. Sam. Yeah. Building off that a little bit, Dave, um, I'm curious, you know, when you're at MLS and now at us soccer, like what's the balance like between promoting the game in general versus promoting specifically a league or specifically a team, whether it's the men's and women's national team. I mean, we talk a lot now about how it's just insane how much soccer is available on TV, but in that, you know, sometimes something like MLS gets kind of drowned out. So I'm just curious what the balance is like. Yeah, Sam, that's a good question. I think it starts with our mission, right? So the mission of U.S. soccer is to make the sport of soccer the preeminent sport in the U.S. Um, Are we there yet? No. Um, Have we come a long way? Yes. Um, But as the federation, you know, we're waking up every single day, you know, thinking about how we grow the game. And our national teams, our men's and women's national teams, our youth national teams, our Paralympic teams, you know, they tend to get a lot of the attention um, but it's a piece of a much larger puzzle. So we've got the professional side. So we've got MLS, we've got NWSL, which by the way, has done a tremendous job in, in, in recent. We've got USL, which continues to grow with great leadership. Um, we've got the youth side, so the membership side. We've got what we do in terms of supporting coaches and referee development. So there's all of these different areas of the, of the business or the sport that we're focused on every single day. And we have, we have resources dedicated against growing and managing those sides. Uh, so it really is a holistic approach. Uh, while some may get more attention from a media perspective, you know, hopefully you know, the perception is that's not, that's not just all we, what we focus on. We focus on growing the game holistically. Um, and there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle uh, as we think about how do we support the mission of, of making soccer the preeminent sport in the US. How much does it, does it depend sometimes on when the U.S. national team's winning? I mean, because, you know, do you, do you get a sort of a depression? I mean, it must, there must have been sort of numbers must have been off after we didn't qualify, um, an opportunity lost. Um, so, you know, coming in with a team like this now that seems to be so exciting um, for you is, has got to be exciting as a marketer. Very much so. And I think it's fun. If you look at the history um, you know, every four years, whether it be on the men's or the women's side, there is this crescendo effect, right? So the fandom and following of our men's and women's national teams grows and grows up into and a little bit after the World Cup. There's a little bit of a dip and then it continues to grow. Um, yeah. Obviously, when the men didn't make the World Cup in 18, um, we didn't see those levels grow at, at at the historical levels of the past. 
um, but the sport continues to grow. And, and without question, performance on the field matters. You know, culturally, winning matters in, in this country. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've obviously seen, you know, the fandom continue to increase on the women's side. I mean, they continue to be the gold standard um, and have been for some time. And, and I suspect as we continue to grow uh, on the men's side, you know, the fandom will follow. Um, as we look to the future. You know, if we can look for any sort of silver lining with this pandemic that we've had, a lot of businesses are sort of reassessing and reevaluating. And, and, you know, one thing that we've talked about on this show is how MLS was sort of first out of the gate um, with, you know, having their bubble and, and they had some problems early on, but they actually, you know, did a, did a really good job. And I think some people sort of mimic that. Um, so it's probably a good opportunity for all of us to sort of uh, figure out what works, what doesn't work, and uh, not take anything for granted. Uh, Grail? Yeah, David, it, it's always seemed to me that the U.S. women's national team and the men's national team has kind of, have kind of operated and been marketed in, in parallel paths, but not necessarily as a unified entity. And I'm just wondering if that's an opportunity down the road where kind of strength in numbers would help in a way, if there was more of a merging of the two entities to create a more powerful overall brand and then, then just having them kind of move down their own paths. Um, just curious if that's something you might be looking into. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit early to have a, a, a strong opinion on that, Grail. But mm -hmm. what I would say is, you know, our overarching brand right now is One Nation, One Team. So when you think about that, when you think about this country, you think about what this country has gone through over the last eight, nine, 10 months, you know, what better sport, what better property to serve as that united force? You know, it doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, your sexual orientation. You know, soccer literally is for everyone. And I think that serves as a massive opportunity for, for U.S. soccer. Um, you know, so if you're a second generation uh you know, fan from Tijuana, your first uh, national team preference may be the Mexican national team. But guess what? You, you live in the U.S. and have for the last five years, your second favorite team is, is the men's or the women's national team. Right. So this united mm -hmm. message, I think, is really strong and powerful. You know, how we differentiate between marketing the men's team and the women's side, I think, you know, I need to sink my teeth into that a little bit more, um, you know, as 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 we look to the future mm -hmm. sam yeah um i'm curious dave how big a part of the promotion side of things um is the commentary and sort of broadcasting of the game here which is something we discuss a lot on this show and you know we wonder if we've really found our voice kind of as a soccer country yet you know with all the english people we have doing games etc um so i'm just wondering how involved you guys are with that at mls and u.s soccer yeah, from a from a U.S. soccer side, I mean, it, it's not uh, we're not influencing that. I think it really is a byproduct of the maturation of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there's probably three people on this incredibly powerful Zoom call that might be great commentators. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it really is, um, you know, a, a sign of of where we are in our life cycle as a sport. And 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 it's interesting now. I mean, take. Take last night, for example, you've got a guy like Taylor Twelman, you know, who grew up playing the game in this country, who had a very good career professionally in MLS, and then now has become a consistent personality as it relates to covering, you know, U.S. national team games. 
and Stuart Holden's another guy. You know, there, there's now a number of personalities, but it really is a byproduct of kind of where we are in our maturation. And I suspect as we continue to grow, um, we're going to have more and more folks that that came from, in, in many cases, having played on the field and now have the personality and 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 the voice to to support the game off the field. You know, from a broadcast standpoint. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. It's it's much different than it was even 15, 20 years ago. And the number of quality announcers that are that are applying their trade uh, with soccer in this country is at a whole nother level, which is which is exciting to see. And it definitely adds to the viewership experience. No question. Let's uh, let's shift to the MLS Cup uh, this Saturday. You got Columbus and Seattle. Uh, get your thoughts on that one. I mean. Uh, Unbelievable. Um, it's tough to bet against Seattle in the playoffs. They are, they are a team to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, they, they've made it to MLS Cup like four of the last five years. Um, and then you've got Columbus, which is another great story. You know, a, a team that, you know, had ownership changes. Um, you know, Caleb, who, by the way, is a former Hoosier at All Starts in Bloomington, um, <laughs> you know, ha- has won literally every stop along the way. Um, and they both play really attractive soccer. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how that game plays out. I don't know Caleb that well. I've had him on the show here a couple of times. I just love his. He's got this sort of sort of like brutal honesty, you know, like n- no bones about it. And I, uh, the type of guy you'd want to play for, you know. Uh, you really, did you play with him in Indiana? I did. So on another segment, we'll dedicate a portion of that to stories back to when Caleb showed up on campus as a freshman. And, and <laughs> was he cocky? Uh, oh, dude, he, from, from Kalamazoo. We used to call Kazoo. But I got to tell you, uh, one of the most competitive individuals you will ever meet. He brought it every single day in training. I mean, the battles we would have in training. We overlapped by two years. Um, you know, he had a, a small stint, you know, playing professionally. Um, and then you look at what he's done as a coach, whether it be at Akron collegiately uh, in, in Portland, and now obviously in, in Columbus, you know, what's really impressive is, you know, every stop along the way he's won. And that's not by accident, you know, right. and, and while he was a grinder as a player, you know, it's also really interesting that his teams not only show up and roll up the sleeves every single game, but he's also been able to sprinkle in those dynamic players that make his teams exciting to watch. And I think we'll see that this weekend. Yeah. He reminds me on a collegiate level of Noonan, Mike Noonan, who I've known as well. And uh, Noonan is a real fierce, fierce competitor, uh, an intellect uh, is one everywhere he's gone. You know, now Caleb is from Kalamazoo. He is. That's unbelievable. Cause that's where I played pro ball two years for the indoor league. So he must've come to some of the games and I always tell or, this or one, not. Or not. <laughs> I think all the kazoo kids, they got to Don't come burst around. his bubble Dave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here's my one Kalamazoo story with the, the locals. So one of the kids who used to come to the games all the time, and I have a picture of him asking for my autograph is Derek Jeter. Oh, wow. Right. So he lived in Kalamazoo and he would come to these games and apparently he was a heck of a soccer player. Go figure. Right. I mean, he's mm-hmm. built perfectly for it. Um, but I was headed to a party years back where he was supposed to be at it. And I was going to walk up to him and say, Hey, Derek, um, you've actually watched me play professionally, but I've never seen you play professionally live. And he'd be like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I was a Kalamazoo kangaroo, dude. There you go. There it is. So uh, like, look again, Caleb, you know, that's uh, that's that, you know, that, uh, that, that Midwestern values, hardworking, eth- ethic, you know, that's the way you played. Are you still playing at all or? 
Hey, for you. Uh, every once in a while, I, I'm not playing organized, but I, I do yeah. kick around with the kids. It's getting harder and harder, and my yeah. son takes joy at taking me 1v1. Um, but it, it's fun, you know, and, and you try to hold on as long as you can. I still run and I'm very active, but yeah, actually playing a full 90, I think those days may be over. Yeah, full, a full 90 is uh, about a 12-minute kick around with some guys that you know, and then that's it. Everybody talks about how great they were when they played. So, hey, Dave Wright, uh, congratulations on this new job, uh, this new gig that you have, uh, this exciting team teams that you are, are, uh, are marketing. Uh, sky's the limit, and uh, I think there could be no better man for the job than you. So uh, congratulations and best of luck moving forward. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, that was great. Uh, seems like the right man for the right job at the right time, guys. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, great, great experience. Uh, a player, which I always thinks, think helps when you're marketing. Um, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then the sin he did with minor league baseball, I think, is just going to serve him incredibly well. Yeah, you know, I, I always had a, a problem with, you know, even when I was at ESPN, I remember they w- I would get a producer or something who wasn't a soccer person, and I had to almost explain the language to them. And they were a soc- they were working in soccer trying to get to the NBA or trying to get to NFL, and it always irked me. And so I always looked with a sort of somewhat jaundiced eye to, to that. And so I'm really happy that Dave's back in soccer because I think he just brings a wealth of experience and he's a believer in this game that we love uh, yeah. so much. So, uh, so good things. And so best of luck to Dave. And as Dave goes, the country goes with the national team. Yeah. So we're happy about that. So um, I guess we want to talk a little bit before we get going here, before we leave you for the week uh, about Paolo Rossi. Um, and what he meant. I, uh, what a magical time watching those games. I think probably back in the closed circuit days of watching the World Cup uh, for us older people. But, uh, man, he was, he was the man. And coming out of a tough time when in Italian soccer, he was uh, sort of tangentially uh, connected to the, the uh, scandal that was there with the, the betting. But, uh, yeah. Greg, what, what are your memories of, of Yeah, Paul? well, I was 82 World Cup. Uh, I was right out of college, so it was uh... – Certainly a, a long, a long time ago, but uh, yeah, he, I mean, he single-handedly won in the World Cup. That's the way I look at Paolo Rossi. I mean, he scored a hat trick in the World Cup, which is an incredible accomplishment in and of itself, which I think knocked Brazil out. And um, right. yeah, he just to me, he's been just he's a, a godlike figure in Italian soccer, and it's a big loss. And he was only sixty-four years old, so yeah. Was it Rossi and um, and what was it, Bruno Conti? They were the two big playboys, right? Yeah, Rossi was kind of like almost like the I don't want to say the Joe Namath of of Italian soccer because that sounds like such a cliche, but he was just you know he was he was the poster child of Italian soccer during that era. Yeah, and I I this is obviously before my time when he was a player, but um, I can definitely speak to his lasting legacy. I mean, his face was on a lot of ads and uh, still very much you know a part of the Italian soccer identity. Um, yeah. You know, years later and the outpouring of you know. So it's an action. So do you think this will have the will this resonate like Maradona resonated in Argentina or uh, you know the Maradona's bigger than anything really? Yeah, I think it's a big deal though. I think it'll be oh, a yeah. big deal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but Maradona's you know Paul Rossi's not on the Mount Rushmore of soccer. He's not, but but he's for Italian soccer. He's one of the I don't know Sam maybe big three or something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, possibly, when you win yeah. a World Cup, when you, help, when you help deliver a World Cup for your nation, you're, you're just you're in, cast in bronze, basically. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the World Cup that um, Lineker lit it up, too, right? Um, 82, I think. No, Lineker was later. I think he might have been 82. I think he, I believe. I think, because no, what I, I, I think when he I was met Carrie, I couldn't believe he was my age because I was in college when he was, you know. I, I thought Lineker was 86 or 90, but we'll, we'll do our due diligence and come All back right, with yeah, the correct answer. Do it before yep. we get on there. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, and I guess he died of a, um, a long standing illness. So no one knew. Was that public knowledge, uh, Sam? You're no, I, I'd heard nothing about his health um, until oh. I found out that he died. All right. So, so what do we got today? So uh, thoughts and prayers and blessings to uh, the great Paolo Rossi um, and to his family. So, uh, all right. What do we got guys? Uh, Sam, we have a, a quiz. Yeah, I got a little quiz. So my first quiz question was going to be the one about the American goal scorers, but I had a hunch that maybe that would be outed. So um, it's about the champions league. So the round of 16 field is now set. Uh, and I'm wondering if you guys can tell me how many of the teams that made it through to the round of 16 last season also made it through this season. I'm going to say 12. I'd say eight. Okay. It's actually 12. Well done. Great. Wow. He wow. You had, he had crib notes. I did not. Nope. nope. So yeah. I just knew it was a lot. Building off that, which are the four new teams this season? Oh, I have no clue on that one. Okay. Um, I can tell you the teams that did not make it didn't even make the tournament. So Valencia, Tottenham, Napoli, and Lyon were the all right the four that did not make it this year. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hey, Sam, can we yeah. go back a second to you know talking about Paolo Rossi and that World Cup that they went through before we leave here? Um, mm -hmm. They knocked out Brazil, right? In the semifinal, I think. You know, yeah. and Brazil, that was that team yeah. that was so exciting to watch. You know, yeah. Socrates and Zico and all those players. It was, uh, I think, um, it, it, what does, you know, because Italy played, and for a couple of World Cups, I remember watching Italy play to, to not lose, to just mm -hmm. hunker down, kick anything that moves in the defending third of the field, you know, even with Dino Zoff holding the ball for, you know, 80 minutes out of 90. Mm -hmm. um, what are the what is the national sort of feeling ab about that? Do they want to play the beautiful game? I think Italians just care about winning, um, and there you know there's a, a famous kind of saying that's sort of become the Juve motto. But I think it could be applied to all Italian soccer. It's, it's not important to play well; it's important to win. Um, I also think there's just so much tension around the Italian game and the pressure that they feel uh, to win and. It's funny, yeah, the, this week I feel like highlighted that too in the Champions League because both Lazio and Atalanta just needed a draw, which we were talking about earlier, um, to advance. Both ended up playing the majority of the match up a man after mm -hmm. um, an Ajax player got sent off and then a Bruges player got sent off. Right. Uh, and still they were playing defensive and, you know, you know, yeah. a ball off the crossbar for Bruges. And Ajax had an amazing chance to tie. So I still think when push comes to shove, when it really matters, you know, the default Italian way to play comes out. Um, and it's just something to do with the, the character and the, the way well, the you said is. that they've been invaded so much or something that they just, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's Pretty philosophical. Yeah. But if, if you think about it, it's diametrically opposed to basically the Brazilian philosophy, which, you know, is, is you got to win, but you got to win in the right way. 
Well, I, yeah, I also just think like the, everyone, like the coaching in Italy is so important and everyone wants to think they're doing something interesting tactically. And so if you're up a goal or you only need a goal, you play a certain way and they just tend to overthink things where, you know, versus the Brazilian mentality, which is just go out and play and try to mm -hmm. score no matter what the score is. That's when you play your best sometimes. Yeah, usually. So anyway, I'll, I'll just answer the question. The, the, the four new teams this season in the Champions League round of 16 are Lazio, aforementioned, okay. Borussia Mönchengladbach, mm -hmm. uh, Porto, and Sevilla. Oh, okay. And uh, I, we didn't mention this when we were talking about Champions League, but Salzburg lost at home to Atletico, which means uh, Jesse Marsh will not Jesse be coaching in yeah. the next round, unfortunately. But they go into the Europa League, 25-1 to 1 odds to win it. Okay. All right. Good Can't stuff, guys. Back. Great show. It was uh, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dave Wright uh, from U.S. Uh, Soccer. He's um, you know he's got some great ideas. It'll be fun to watch uh, what what happens next with this exciting national team that we have, and and then also he mentioned the women quite a bit uh, as well, um, and the, the great future that they have as well. Uh, for Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn. This is Over the Ball. We'll talk to you next time, everybody.